Before Christmas, we started looking at something that I think changes everything. A bit like the internet. Uh, when we planted this church, there were rumors of this thing called the internet and uh, strange things like email and all that kind of stuff. And I remember asking somebody, what is it? You know, what is the internet? What does it do? Uh, where is it? You know, uh, all those kinds of questions. Now, if you weren't alive and kicking at that time, you may not appreciate just what a game changer the internet has been. It really has changed everything. Think of it another way. If somebody came up to you this morning and told you that they had just deposited 10 million pounds in your bank account, I hope that's prophetic, but I think it might not be. But if somebody put 10 million pounds in your bank account, that would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change the kind of job that you might do. It would change um, where you go on holiday. It would change where you live. It would make a huge impact, what you eat, how you dress, all those kinds of things. When you get married, it changes everything, doesn't it? Some of you are nodding. Uh, it changes how you spend your time. It changes who you hang out with. It changes just so much of all the little details of life. But I think those things will pale into significance with the, some of the things that the Bible says to us. And uh, uh, So I want to briefly recap on some of what we talked about just before Christmas. If you missed that talk, it's there on our podcast feed and you can catch up. I think it's really important material and I think we need to talk about it a lot before it really sinks in and makes uh, uh, the impact that God intends for us to have. So even if you don't know much about Jesus, even if you haven't been into a church before, you may recognize this quote from the Bible. It comes in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, and it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And that gives us our first heading, our identity, that we are in God's image. Our primary identity is that we are created in God's image. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the next slide, or the next bit there, um, Mandy and I, just before Christmas, were walking in Windsor Great Park, and at the end of Queen Anne's ride, there is this statue. And even from a distance, you could tell that it was the Queen. It was her image. The statue wasn't her, but it was a very good likeness of who she is. And even just the silhouette, you could tell that it was her. And we've all seen enough images of the Queen that if she was to walk in here this morning, that we would recognize her. We might be so surprised that we thought it was a double or uh, that it wasn't actually her, but we would recognize her because we've, we've seen what she's like in the images around us. And that is God's intention for us, that when people see us, when people see people who have been walking with him, people who know him, people who have surrendered their lives to him, who have been made in God's image, that they would then recognize God and be able to understand what he's like. 
The people would become so familiar with what God is like in us that when God comes into the room and they experience that love and the, uh, the peace of God, they'll say, that must be God because I've, I've seen that in you. That's, that's God's intention, that we would carry his image, his likeness. And it doesn't mean that we are God any more than that statue is actually the queen. But God intended that we carry his likeness, his love, his light, his purity, his kindness, and all the other attributes of who he is. In the book Living Like Jesus, it says, we were created in God's image. That means we were created to be a recognition of God. The rest of creation was to look at humanity and see not the dust that we're made of, but who God is through us. When Jesus came and lived on earth, he put aside everything that made him God and became limited just like you and me. And Jesus became the perfect image of God. Not with the flaws that we have. Not with the brokenness that we carry. And so Jesus was able to say to his followers, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you want to know what God the Father is like, look at me. Now that, if it wasn't true, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? To be able to say, I represent exactly what God is like. It's quite a bold statement. Jesus was able to say, I am in the image of God. There is no flaw in that image. And when you see me, you see exactly what God is like. And so it's important for us to remember that we are created in the image of God to look like him, to think like him, to feel and respond like him. But that's where we have the problem as well because our image is broken and we've carried a distorted picture of what God is like. But even the most evil, the most broken person carries some image of God still. But even the best person still carries some brokenness. So, you know, once again, I would say refer to the podcast to get more of the detail on that because we talked about how Jesus lived as a perfect human being and then he did several things. The first thing he did was he died on a cross. And as he died on the cross, he took the punishment upon himself that should have been ours for the things that we've done, for the spiritual laws that we've broken and the implication of that. He also took upon himself all the pain of every person who has ever lived. I don't know if you can get your head around what that must have been like. All the brokenness for the broken image that we carry and the broken things that we have done to each other. And as Jesus died, he died for everyone without exception. But he also died specifically for you. So that if you were the only person who had ever lived carrying the broken image, that Jesus would have died for you. The second thing is, that as Jesus died on the cross, that he broke the power of our enemy, the devil. Satan had held us prisoner by our rebellion against God. We decided to follow him rather than to follow God. God said, if you walk with me, you will, you'll share my image, you'll share my life, but instead we chose to follow uh, the corrupt way that Satan has led, has led us. And so 
One of the things that Jesus did on the cross was he broke Satan's power, which means the prison door is now wide open. We can walk free if we want to. The power of what Jesus did is shown by the fact that everyone is forgiven and everyone can be set free. We simply have to respond to God. Forgiveness is there for everybody. Jesus died once for all. For all people and for all sin. He doesn't have to die again when somebody comes to him and asks for forgiveness. Forgiveness is there for everybody. It's then up to us whether we choose to turn from the way we've lived and turn and walk out of that spiritual prison cell to live with him for eternity. Jesus came to restore to us that perfect image of God, to be able to share his life instead of the brokenness that we'd carried and uh, had in that prison cell. We're free. But then the third thing is that Jesus rose from the dead. And he did that to show that death had no hold over him. Death came as a result of sin, but Jesus was free from sin, and so death had no hold over him. And Jesus died, broke the power of sin, broke the power of the devil, and then as a human being rose from the dead to show that death has no power over human beings any longer. And there is a pathway through death for everybody to be able to share God's life instead of what we had before. And he proved it with a physical body as a human being just like you and me. And so the prison door is now open. And there's a pathway to new life has been cleared. All we have to do is respond to God. And the result of all of this is that our image is restored. So look at this next verse, 1 Corinthians 15:9. Just as death came into the world through a man, meaning Adam, the first one, representative of the rest of us, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. In other words, through Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. And some of us might get happy about that one day because that it really is good news. That changes everything, doesn't it? Instead of living the old way that we used to live, we're now out of the prison cell. We've been taken through death. We now are brought into life to share that perfect image that Jesus had, the perfect image of God. So I put up an image last time, if we could have that. Uh, I, I find these things helpful to help me understand. So the top line is Adam's line, the human, the human line, starting at creation and the fall and running through to when Jesus will come again. And at the point where Jesus comes again, everything's going to be wrapped up. Everything that is broken will be either destroyed or made new. And so that's why there's a, there's a red line there. It's going to stop. And the death that came in as a result of our rebellion against God is going to finally kill off everything that has not got, in, uh, got right with God. But the bottom line represents the new humanity, the new life that Jesus brings. And it goes on through eternity. It doesn't stop doesn't stop when we die physically. Life is for eternity. And just as death had no hold over Jesus, Jesus came to bring in a new humanity, a different line, 
a different image, not the old broken image that we had before, but a new image in the image of God, without the brokenness of sin. And in everything that Jesus did, in every way that he lived, he showed what it was like to live with the perfect image of God. And so when I move, when you move onto Jesus' line, I'm made into a new creation. I don't have to live the way I used to live. I'm no longer in slavery to the broken things that used to hold me in prison. Satan's power is broken. And so I'm free to be able to walk away from that and to be able to live increasingly in the new image that God has given and to bear his likeness. The second heading I want to put up today is also about our identity, and it is that we are God's children. Because there's another aspect to our identity which builds on what we were created to be. So look at this next verse, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, 1 John means that it's the first of the letters that John wrote to his friends. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, If we believe that Jesus is truly Christ... We're God's children. And this is true for anybody who is a follower of Jesus. We respond to this amazing offer of forgiveness and new life. And then Jesus exchanges our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That's another of the images the Bible uses. And then our identity is changed. No longer are we under the kingdom of darkness. We're in the kingdom of light. No longer are we under the rule of death. We come under the life that God gives. And we become his children. We come into his family. And that's why John was able to say a couple of chapters earlier, chapter 3, verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are. That's what we are now. If we've responded to Jesus, that's what we are now. The fact that I'm created in God's image means that I'm not something else. I know it's Sunday morning, but that's a simple piece of logic, isn't it? If I'm created in God's image, then I'm not created in some some other image. So it means that I'm not rejected, I'm not abandoned, I'm not useless, I'm not unlovable, incapable, I'm not of no value, because God is none of those things. And therefore, if I'm in his image, I am none of those things either. And so with this realization comes the understanding that I can live differently. I don't have to live under the burdens that I carried before. I don't have to live under the lies of the enemy that have trapped me for most of my life. I really am free. The fact that I'm a child of God emphasizes the fact that I am not rejected because God has accepted me. I'm not abandoned because God says he'll never desert me. I'm not useless because I'm his child. I'm made in his image. I have his attributes and I have all his resources available to me. I'm not unloved or unlovable. I'm not incapable. I'm not of no value. You see how that completely changes the way we think about ourselves? Do you ever sin and get things wrong, make mistakes? Some of you admitting to it. So do you ever do things that displease God when you know that that's the wrong thing to do. 
Because that's what a lot of it is, isn't it? We know the right things to do, but we still carry on doing some of the things that we shouldn't do. And of, of course we do that because we're human. But how do we react when that happens? Some years ago I read that 80% of men who were surveyed in this country admitted to accessing pornography on the internet at work, which came as no surprise to me. What did surprise me at the time was that 27% of women questioned also uh, access pornography at work. Now I expect, I don't know the latest figures, but I expect that since then with the increasing brokenness of our society that those pro figures probably have gone up. I doubt they've gone down. And so I think it would be safe for us to assume that the majority of people in this room struggle with sexuality in some way. And if you don't, you're very fortunate, and you can substitute any one of a number of other things in place of that, I'm sure. So what happens, for example, when you look at pornography and perhaps you masturbate afterwards or you allow your mind to wander in fantasy? What happens when those cruel words slip out that harshly cut another person or put them down? What happens when you were going to have a glass of wine but you end up drinking a bottle of wine instead? You know, there are so many selfish acts that we could put in at this point. Now, how do you feel about God at that point? How do you feel about yourself and how do you feel about how God is responding to you? How does God feel about you at that point where you've done this thing that you shouldn't have done? Now, for many of us at this point, we revert to our old way of thinking. We entertain the lie that God is angry with us, that he's disappointed in us, uh, that we are cut off from him, that somehow God disapproves in us because of what we've done. And it's not just what we've done, it's what we are. We, in effect, imagine our sin in front of us with God on the other side. And this sin has separated us from God and God is frowning and he's shaking his head. And he's saying, you've done it again. And I knew you would because you're a sinner. You're a mess. Just look at you. But nothing could be further from the truth. We imagine that about God, but we also imagine things about ourselves that are not true. We start thinking as if our identity has suddenly changed from being a child of God back to being a slave of darkness once again. We see ourselves as sinners, incapable of doing right, cut off from God, unable to be used from him, and separated from his love. What a pack of lies, the Bible says. Now, as many of you know, Mandy and I have four sons. We love them all equally, and we are incredibly proud of them. And if one of them does something that I don't like, or if they did something that I asked them not to do, it doesn't change their identity. It doesn't change the way I see them. They are still my sons. I still love them. And even though I may not like what they've done, it doesn't change the fact that I want to bless them and be there for them and for them to prosper. It doesn't change things at all. And that's exactly the same with God, but much more so, because he is much more loving than we are. 
When we sin, we don't stop being in the image of God. We don't stop being his children. We simply become disobedient children. God's attitude towards us doesn't change. His unconditional love for us doesn't falter. His closeness to us is just as great as it was before. We're the ones who maybe can't sense him as close as we did before. But the Bible says that God stays as close to us as he did before. So why do we beat ourselves up? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are already forgiven. Every sin ever committed, it's already forgiven. So the things that you're going to do later on today and tomorrow and the rest of this week, they're already forgiven. That's, that's good news, isn't it? They're already forgiven. They're already dealt with. Jesus dealt with them on the cross. You don't have to worry about them. It would be better not to do them because they don't help us and they are harmful and all those kinds of things. But they are already forgiven. And as we turn back to our Heavenly Father, we are restored. But He never turns away from us, no matter how badly we fall. Do you remember the story when Jesus was on the cross and uh, there was that point where He cried out, quoting from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And darkness came on the land. Because at that point, Jesus was cut off from God the Father he went through hell in our place so that we don't have to. And that was the last time that anybody who responds to Jesus has to experience that. We don't have to have that. God, God doesn't cut us off anymore. He doesn't say, well, you know, you've committed X number of sins, so I'm going to withdraw this much from you, and uh, I'm going to make life a little bit more difficult for you because, you know, you've not been good this week. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what God's love is like for us. Jesus died on the cross so that none of us would ever have to be separated from God again. And so we, when we sin and we rightly are horrified by the foul thing that we've done, God's not on the other side of it frowning and shaking his head and muttering in disapproval. He's standing right next to us with his arm around us. And he's telling us how much he loves us. And he's telling us, you don't need to worry. I've already paid the price for that. And if we can grasp that, I think it changes everything. And I believe it is essential for us to understand our identity, for us to be able to live the kind of life that Jesus designed us for. Because if we can get rid of all that rubbish that we've been living with, it gives us incredible freedom to be able to pursue the things that God has called us to do. And uh, so this is the third heading uh, about our identity, that we have a God-given destiny. Now, the problem with the word destiny is that it always reminds me of Back to the Future. I don't know if you remember that scene where Marty's dad goes in and you know, he's meant to say, chat up line, I'm not sure if it's a very good one, but you are my destiny, and he says... You are my density, so I'm going to try and get the word right today, but um, it always reminds me of that. But it's only when our identity is clear in our heart and our mind that we have the freedom to live as God intended. 
The reason that Jesus was able to withstand the ridicule and the death threats and the rejection and everything else, as well as achieving every single thing the Father had designed for him to achieve. Can you imagine that? Every single hour of every single day that you achieve everything that God has designed for you. And he could do that because he was completely secure in his identity. And from that identity came the understanding of his calling, his destiny. And there are three aspects of our, denti- uh, of our destiny that I want to briefly mention, <laughs> uh, which we'll come back to another time with completely different language. Um, so back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, God created human beings in his own image. And then in the, in the next verse, he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So three things there. First thing is that God calls us to rule. This is the God-given authority that he gave to mankind to rule over the earth and to use his authority and power. But instead, we responded to Satan, we came under his authority, and God wants to restore to us a true understanding of the authority and the power that he's given to us as his children in his identity so that we can do the things that he's called us to do. And, you know, as we say with our, in our leadership training, this authority and power is given to us not to rule, to dominate, it's given to us to serve. The second thing is to work. God created us in his image to work hard, just as he did, and also to rest well, as he did. And it is as we do our work that we find God's anointing, his pleasure, and his image worked out. It's through our work, nine to five, eight to six, whatever hours you do, that we find our ministry, everyone, every day, everywhere. Uh, We are God's trusted ambassadors. God has placed his image upon you. He's made you his child. He's made you his ambassador, his representative. And he trusts you to go out with everything that he's given you to do a good job, to represent him. Just as Eric Little said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So whatever the gift mix is that God has given you, enjoy it. If God has blessed you with the ability to make huge amounts of money, enjoy doing that and use that gifting to the full. And then plow the money back into God's kingdom. Don't use it selfishly. And if your gifting is uh, somewhere else on the spectrum of gifting, whether it's caring for people or uh, designing computer programs, whatever it is, enjoy the gifting that God has given you. We can find God's pleasure in the things that we do as an expression of his identity through us and we can do it well because God designed us to work and to prosper. And that's the third thing to prosper there. Notice that God intended for them to be good at what they did, not to be second rate. Their security in their identity enabled them to reach out, to fill the world, to tame the wild, to do great exploits. If we're held back by the broken image, by our fears and the lies that we've believed, we'll play it safe. We'll never be able to take calculated risks. 
we'll never be able to achieve what we want to do and what God wants us to do. When John and Debbie Wright were talking this last week about dreaming the impossible, they said, you know, we could, we could approach it by saying, well, you know, we've had 1,200 people, let's play it safe, let's trim the budget here and there so that, you know, we can make it work and, you know, or we can say, no, God wants us to take this opportunity. This is a, a, a window where we have an opportunity to do something. Let's go for it. Let's dream big. Let's go for bigger than we think we can afford. Let's go for bigger teams than we think we have the people for. Let's really launch out and do that. And I think that's the kind of way God wants us to do it. And even in the middle of all of that, there is excellent planning. There is... Uh, there is a real awareness of targets and what, you know, things need to be changed at different times and all that kind of thing. But I think God has created us to do so much more than we would naturally think. Our identity is a key to our purpose on earth and our ability to be able to fulfill it. Now, there's much more than we have time for today. There are a couple of talks from the National Leaders Conference that are covering this material as well from slightly different angles, and we'll dip into this again from time to time. But please take this away. God does not disprove, disapprove of you in any way or at any time. That's the power of God's love. It's the power of his forgiveness. God does not disapprove of you in any way or at any time. You are created in God's image, and God did a good job. You are his child, and he loves you unconditionally. There are no situations where he doesn't love you or who you are, who he's made you to be. There are no situations where God will withdraw his blessing and his love from you. And we don't need to wallow in the dirt anymore saying, I'm such a waste of time, such a failure, so sinful, so displeasing to God because that's all to do with the old way of living. And so instead of saying, I'm a sinner, we receive and we believe the truth that the Bible gives us, that I am saved and I am changed. And God is changing me from glory to glory. And as I respond to God, he's leading me further along the pathway. And with each step that I respond to him, he's changing me, he's making me more like him, and he's gradually changing the things that still need to be changed. Instead of thinking and believing I'm a failure, we receive and believe the truth that I am created in the image of God, created to do great things. And it doesn't matter what's happened in the past, because that's all forgiven. It doesn't matter what mistakes I may make in the future, because those are forgiven too. So I have freedom to be able to enjoy who God created me to be. Instead of I'm controlled by my past, we receive and believe the truth and live in the truth that I am God's child, I am chosen, I am called, forgiven, accepted, loved, empowered, etc. I am at peace with God and therefore I can be at peace with myself. Let's stand together. <clears throat>